This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. We know you're seeing all the Mother's Day gift guides everywhere. And while we usually do some didn't I just feed you version, this year we have the one perfect Mother's Day gift that works for everyone even our last-minute shoppers, mylifeinabook.com. Mylifeinabook.com is a unique service that turns the life stories of people you love into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your gift recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions that they provide, or you can customize the questions the way that I did for my mom. Your recipient can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. I'm really excited to be creating a book with my own mom this year, and I can't wait to hear some of her childhood memories, what it was really like raising three kids as a single mother, and how she's enjoyed becoming a grandmother, too. And when the book is done, you'll have a beautiful keepsake for her and for you too. You can even choose to have an audiobook created from the recordings. It's easy to sign up and the process is automated so you don't have to worry about missing a week. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code D-I-J-F-Y at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code D-I-J-F-Y for 10% off today. Megan, it's no secret that I'm a maximalist who loves luxe clothing and home goods. It's also no secret that I'm a minimalist who also loves investing in a handful of small luxe things that will last in service for a long time, especially for my house. And we both love a good deal, which is why we both become obsessed with OneQuince.com, a one-stop shop for curated luxury goods shipped direct from the world's best specialist factories. Quince partners with factories that produce well-known luxury brands and that demonstrate a commitment to high production standards, fair wages, safety, and sustainability. They also focus on essential products with low design costs. Think cashmere cruise, super soft fleece pants, and the down comforters and hotel quality sheets that I stocked up on for my new house. I've also been doing some back-to-school shopping to stock up on fall essentials for me. <laughs> a new denim shirt, everyday gold hoop earrings, and a super cute crossbody bag. Staples are wear on repeat all season, shipped directly from the factory, no middle person, no upcharge. Altogether, that's how Quince is able to keep prices up to 50 to 80% lower than other brands. Real simple, in style, fast company, Refinery29, and Fortune all agree with us. Quince is a game changer. Take advantage of a brand new offer just for our listeners. Get 10% off any purchase of $100 or more with the code FEED10. There's always free shipping and 365-day returns. Just go to onequince.com slash D-I-J-F-Y. That's O-N-E-Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Quality shouldn't be a luxury. Try Quince today. Because nuts are so high in these delicious fats, they do go rancid and they do start to taste like a little funky. And so if you know that you're not going to use a ton of them, then buy them in in the smaller packs. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Hey guys, before we jump into today's conversation all about using up those fall baking staples, we're going to give our Didn't I Just Feed You community a shout out. Woo! Woo! 
Okay. I like your shout out, Meg. <laughs> okay, but seriously, seriously, could our listener group be any more joyful, any more of a supportive place? I mean, it's very Chandler Bing, but it couldn't be. It's the best. <laughs> it is the best, which is why we just want to make sure that everybody who's listening knows that you can join us there for free. We only ask for your email address. We're collecting it. It's not any company or social platform. You just hop in and out of the community by logging into a site or an app, your choice. It just takes seconds. People have definitely shared how easy it is. We will put a link in our show notes, or you can go to Instagram where we're at, didn't I just feed you, and find the link in our bio. Just click, enter your email, and boom, you're part of the best free listeners group, the coolest and most helpful place on the internet. And hey guys, if you're able to comfortably support Didn't I Just Feed You and our efforts to publish free weekly episodes, we would love to welcome you to our community as a supporting member, of course. Supporting members can pledge their support monthly or annually, and they receive amazing perks if we do say so ourselves. The main one, of course, is those two exclusive episodes every single month, but we also do quarterly live events and giveaways, lifetime access to a private Instagram feed. The giveaway that we're doing for the holidays coming up is so awesome. The first one we did was worth $600. This one, I don't know. We got to keep going big, Megan. I mean, it's pre-holiday. You might be able to wipe out a lot of your Christmas shopping oh, if you win yeah. this one giveaway. That's all I'm going to say. All right, guys. So we we hope you will join us there. That's our plug. We love you. And we just really want to spend time with you, actually, a whole lot. <laughs> yes. And I won't get too deep into it, but I think we always love transparency. So we just want you to know that every penny pledged by supporting membership goes right back in to didn't I just feed you um, to make it the most helpful and accessible platform and resource that it can be. Okay, on to this week's topping and uh, topping. topping. <laughs> so perfect. That's where my mind's at. On to this week's topic. Another installment of our use it up series. This week, we're talking all about fall baking staples that we think you should have to start getting cozy and baking up everyday cakes, muffins, mochi, Halloween treats <laughs> and other holiday goodies. And also how to use them up when you find yourself with like three half cans of pumpkin. Not that I would know anything about that. <laughs> Ask us how we know that that happens. Actually, it happened to me recently. I <laughs> currently have half a can of pineapple or <laughs> pumpkin in my fridge, just open and waiting to be used up. So I know. And you actually, you kind of take aim at me a little bit in this episode. <laughs> I did not. I'm I'm I think half I'm a kidding. can is a. We get into this with our guest Genevieve Cope, but I think half a can is a legit use of a pumpkin. Like you don't have to use the whole thing because then you can all like make that same recipe twice or double that recipe and yes. bake it one time. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's more like the two tablespoons of pumpkin puree. Well, f you. <laughs> yeah, like, but why? Are you kidding. But what other things, pumpkin's the obvious one, can you just quickly rattle off? Like, we're going to talk to Genevieve, our guest today, about what's in her fall baking pantry. But can you quickly just rattle off some of the things that you get excited about baking with in the fall? Ooh, definitely apples, probably because I'm a little bit too, I don't know, naive. I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll use up 25 apples. Yes, totally. I'm going to get cute apple pictures, which, to be clear, is what we're doing. My kids, like, are not really into it they're in for the apple cider donuts and that's about it i'm always over buying pears and then i think there's just something about the fall in general where it's like i feel like i can have my oven on a lot more and so i am just using up like more butter and more eggs and more sugar and yeah. flour and like a lot of times wanting to try new sugars or mm. i say new sugars because Recently, I feel like I've been sent a lot of samples of like lower sugar alternative things. Or yeah. like, I think uh, when we had Shauna Siever on, she talked to us about all the different types of sugar that there are to bake with, like maple sugar and demerara sugar. And so I just get kind of excited, honestly, about the season for butter and sugar. If it ever had a season, it's fall, right? Yes, totally. I totally feel the same way spices too a lot of those warming spices 
Mm. I really love. And you know what else? I'll just mention because ditto, like apples and the pears and the all the good stuff. There are two other things that neither you nor Genevieve mentioned that I'm going to bring up. And one is just funny. So I haven't baked with them in a while, but I always get really excited about grapes. Like those Uh, (laughs) balls. You had to bring this up again. I did. did. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm doing it. I like Concord grapes and I think that they're really fun to bake with in like peanut butter and quote unquote jelly things like peanut butter and quote unquote jelly muffins with Concord grapes. They're baked. They're soft. You think it's weird. I I don't love a grape for eating out of hand, but I will tell you, I have a fond memory of a boyfriend that I had when I was in culinary school whose grandfather grew Concord grapes in Vermont of all places. And every fall he would make a Concord grape pie. And that was delicious. That sounds good. Yeah. Like flaky pie crust around Concord grapes, which really like when you think of grape jelly and that sort of like sweet grapey, it's not like, it's not even artificial grape. It's like true grape flavor. And there's like some tartness to it. It's very balanced, like an apple pie is. Oh, I want that. See, I want to put that on my fall baking list. I never got the recipe. Oh, uh, uh, Megan, up, so I'm going to look I'm one sorry. up. Okay, I'll look okay. one up. I'll put it in the show notes. But guys, I haven't tried it yet. We should all try it together in the listeners group. But I have a quick question. Did he seed the grapes? Yes, 100% Okay, so that's He like... used like a food meal mill to do it. Oh. It was like the pulp and the color but none of the seeds in the skin. And it was really, really good. That sounds like a lot of work. For once a year, I might yeah, you're I'm right, you're right. of freaking grapes. He was invested in it. I don't even know why. I don't remember why now. Uh, okay. Oh, man. So grapes were the one thing I was going to bring up. And now <laughs> you're so far gone. Was it persimmons? Okay, so I got so worked up about grapes. I can't remember. I'm sorry. It was the pie. I know. I can't remember what my second thing was. So maybe after we speak with today's guest, I'll come back to it. I love that. (laughs) We have a great guest today. Genevieve Coe is a senior editor for New York Times Cooking, for which she also writes articles and develops recipes. She came to the Times from the Los Angeles Times, where she was cooking editor. She's the author of Better Baking and has contributed to more than 20 cookbooks, as well as other food publications. Born and raised in East Los Angeles, she now lives in New York City and cooks dishes from everywhere. And after you're done listening to us chat with Genevieve, be sure to check out her recent column, Baking That Simple But Always Satisfying, in the New York Times. Welcome, Genevieve. I identify as our resident baker, so we this like is perfect kismet to talk about fall baking, which happens to be some of my favorite. So talk to us a little bit about your fall holiday, say fall and holiday, if they're separate, or maybe it's all lumped together, your baking pantry. Is there anything that you feel like is super unexpected or that you're excited about this season? Yeah, I think my fall to like my fall pantry really naturally flows into my holiday pantry. And I think one of the biggest things is for sure spices. So something I like to do uh, at the beginning of fall is to actually grind fresh spice blends, which I know sounds like a lot. And that's why I don't normally do it any (laughs) other time of year. I just open my ground cinnamon. But every year I like to just mess around a little bit with my favorites are cinnamon, cardamom. I love to throw some cloves in there every once in a while, maybe a little allspice. Um, so one of the biggest things I think that is so distinctive to me about fall and winter baking are the spices. And for sure, there are years when I don't have the time or energy to do that. But in those cases, then I'll actually check my jars and give them a sniff. And if they don't smell like fall or the holidays, if they don't make me feel like crunching leaves outside or, you know, like, um, the holiday tree is lit, then I'll be sure to buy some new ones because spices do really dull or just lose their flavor over time. Yes. And I think we're all guilty of having like spices that we bought for one recipe uh, that are like two years expired. And we're like, this is fine. It still kind of smells like cardamom. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. I also just love the um, idea of making spice blends 
because that makes your baking really custom, but also because that's something you can share with friends and family. For yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's a fun way to experiment and um, taste and explore flavors. So I will often have my um, kids like taste them by, you know, just toast some bread and butter and then sprinkle a little of the spice blend on while it's still Ooh. warm to bloom the flavors. And I'll be like, how's this? And then we can figure out, oh, maybe we want a little more cardamom or maybe a little heat from black pepper or another sort of a little chili or something. So it's a fun, fun sort of taste experiment. So are you working with the same palette usually and just like experimenting with different combinations and varying levels or like, are you in love with some new spice this season that you want to tell us about? Gosh, I, you know, I think I like to sort of keep evolving even within a single season. I do love again, the sort of warming spices. Um, I think one thing I've really been playing around with and enjoying a lot is Urfa. It's black urfa chili. It has this like deep, deep flavor that I think is so nice with chocolate. It's it's sort of peppery, but the heat is really uh, not spicy heat, but just sort of like a mild, rounded heat that has has a little smokiness. And that's really fun. That's really like the adventure spice for me in terms of like really like trying it with different crazy things. But to be totally honest, like I just love cinnamon sugar a lot of times too just the just the warmth of cinnamon yes. Uh, yes makes me really happy okay i know megan has so many questions but i'm going to say one more thing on the spices what's your favorite source for spices um i have a bunch actually so well you know full disclosure i actually worked on a cookbook with lior sirkarv uh, he owns la boite which is this great great well i am calling it a mail order spice company but you can go in the shop if you're in new york and and get the stuff there obviously order online mail order i'm like a dinosaur here <laughs> but um so i love la boite obviously uh, because i've sort of been behind the scenes and smelled all the spices and seen them all grinding them and they have some premix blends too that are really fun um, so I order from them and also burlap and barrel is a new place that I've seen, um, you know, around and, you know, if I'm totally honest, most of the time I'm picking up the, whatever is it on sale at the supermarket. <laughs> I do try to keep, I do try to, you know, go out and source special spices, but, um, but yeah, as long as you're fresh, I always look at the dates. That's sort of what I do. Yeah. When you're asking, how do I build my fall baking pantry? If I'm totally honest, what I do is wait or see what goes on sale when, and then I stock up. So I don't know if you guys, you know, every once in a while there are seasons of like when butter really goes on a huge sale, then I'll just get all my, you know, a ton of yes. butter and I'll freeze whatever I know I'm not going to use for a while. Or like when cream cheese goes on sale, for sure, I'll just like get all cream cheese or um, flowers, especially like, um, especially if they're like nut flowers aren't going on sale because sometimes almond flour can be really pricey. Yeah. So that's the other way I stock my pantry is <laughs> based on what I see on sale. Chocolate chips, when those chocolate chips go on sale, I get like yes. a gazillion. Yeah. I'm just imagining that you have like this giant chest freezer just full <laughs> of like beautiful puff pastry and butter and chocolate chips and cream cheese now. And I'm like, I am so jealous. I want that so badly. Even though I'm sure like living in New York, you have a regular size freezer that's have just a regular size freezer. Well stocked. Yeah, I do have like a section that's like all my nuts, all my whole grains. And then I have a very important section that's like unbaked dough that can go into the oven. And then another very important section of stuff that's already been baked (laughs) for uh, my late night cravings or any time of day cravings. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Or like uh, having someone come by and you can make coffee and have a little treat. It's Mm -hmm. just like super convenient. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like what are things that you find are easy to bake with your kids and also easy to just like have in the freezer or whip up at a moment's notice? I love like weeknight baking. And I have said for a long time that I think meal prepping a dessert or a treat every week is actually essential. So I'd love to know what you would prep. Yeah, absolutely. You know, since this is obviously we're at a moment in time, I'll tell you about something I really miss doing a lot, (laughs) which is, um, and actually this was my first um, New York Times column was based on Apple Crisp. Um, And I write a lot about like the joy of baking by hand and that's real, but the real joy for me of an apple crisp and the summer blueberry crisp and, you know, sort of all throughout the year, I love making crisps when I 
have those friends who are such good friends where it's like 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. And, and you just say, hey, you want to just come over for dinner? You know, you want to just like swing by and pop over for dinner? And, yes. um, and I can start making the crisp either when they arrive or right before they arrive. And so I pull it out of the oven and like by the time we're ready to sit down, it's like that perfect level of warmth. But I haven't had to run out and like grab ingredients. Like those ingredients are ones I tend to always have. Um, and it comes together so easily. And if they're hanging out earlier, then like the kids love to like get into the crumbling, you know, the mixture and all that. Um, so that is really one of my favorite you know, it's both a weeknight dessert, but also a like drop-in dessert because there's something about like, here's something warm and it feels so special and you smell, and the spices, you smell the spices and the yes. nuts and the butter in the house. Um, so that's something I really love to throw together. For sure, cookies obviously are the other one. And that was sort of, I, I picked the, those two recipes from my first column because maybe they're not as like fancy or cutting edge as some other stuff I've done, but they are the cookies are my, my kids' favorites that I will throw together both for when, um, and I'm like, anyone want to come over after school, you know, and I'll throw those together or like bring to the soccer game or bring to whatever event or function. Um, so those are things that come together really fast, but another one that I make a lot and is also sort of a pantry dessert where I, I try to always keep the ingredients, um, is butter mochi. So that recipe is also on New York Times cooking. Um, and it's one of those funny ones where I've been making it forever. And then I finally actually published it. Like there's some recipes that, you know, they're like home recipes. And then every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I should, I guess I should publish it. But butter mochi is, it's like a cross between cake. And if you've had mochi, mochi, which is sweet rice and, you know, and it's baked into this cake form, um, it's tender, but it's chewy and it's subtly sweet, but it's so comforting, the softness and the chewiness of it. And I have found that anytime I bring it to a class party or anything with the kids or adults, but really the kids love it because I think there's a hint of like candiness or like marshmallows. Yes, totally. totally. And it's like you mix it all in one bowl, you dump it you know, in a 13 by nine, like cake pan goes in the oven, like don't even have to think about it. I like it plain. Sometimes I'll glaze it for fun, but usually I like it plain. It does take like an hour to bake. So it's not so much like a, you know, cookie thing that you can throw together and have ready in 20 minutes. But once it is done, I cut them into like little squares so I can feed at least one, if not two classes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. We love that. That's genius. Yeah. And you can like sprinkle things on top of it too, right? Like yeah, coconut so and coconut. I love sprinkling coconut on top to get that extra, extra bit of crunch. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to crisp for a second because I want to know, are you prepping summer crisps are easy because berries you can just wash and throw in the pan mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of the times, but for apples and pears and all these beautiful fall fruits, do you tend to like, prep a bunch of apples, put them in a bag and freeze them, make the crumb topping and freeze it and then just assemble or like just talk us through the mechanics of that just so that people can start to imagine how they might incorporate this into their everyday life. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, the crumb topping, you can make ahead and freeze and keep in there for months and you can always do that. You know, I wish that I was organized enough to plan <laughs> to the degree where I would have prep. But the thing, you know, with the apples and pears as well, um, they do tend to brown. And I don't even know that that you could tell necessarily once it's all baked. Um, but what I like to do is I really strategically start by making the crisp topping part because I want that butter to be really cold when it goes in the oven because that helps keep it really crunchy. So I'll throw that in the freezer and let that freeze while I then prep the apples and pears. And, you know, I say in the recipe, you know, you can peel the apples if you want. And honestly, I don't. And I sincerely think that probably started from when my twins were insane toddlers and I was making this and I just did not have the bandwidth to peel the apples. And I was like, I'm just, I'm just cutting them up. Uh, and once I did that and tasted it, I was like, oh, actually, I love this in-between texture, right? Mm-hmm. So with an apple crisp, you have that, the flesh of the apples like collapses into this delicious, like juicy, you know, something between applesauce and the apple pie filling texture. And then the crunchy topping is so crunchy, like, you know, cookies. And when you keep the peels on, you get this nice little chewiness, which again, like is almost reminiscent of 
a confection, like a candy or something. And pear, um, you know, the peels of pears are so thin that I like for sure do not take the time to do that. So I, I usually just like to prep the apples while the crisp is in the freezer. Um, you know, and I think the one thing that is really crucial to my both baking and cooking quickly is really sharp knives. I keep my knives really sharp. Um, And so that actually makes it go really We talk about it all the time here. It's counterintuitive because people think sometimes that a sharp knife is more dangerous. Actually, it's way less dangerous because you have to use way less pressure to get it Mm -hmm. to do what you want it to do. And then you're not as likely to be pressing down on your finger really hard. Yeah. I love my apple core wedger. I don't even know what's called apple cutter. I love it. Love it. Love it. When I do my crisp, I tend to dice the apples because I keep the skin on so that you don't have like long pieces of skin. And also just for like the timing of um, how quickly they cook. But one thing I do and, and I saw, you know, I had done an Instagram story on it, but it was edited in a way that I think the, the, people watching couldn't see what I do is I actually dice the apple all the way across. So I, so I take the round apple and I cut it across um, all the way through the whole apple. And then I dice it all the way without coring it. And I know that um, people are like, are you, that's crazy. I don't keep the stem and seeds. I actually find it's faster for me. So maybe it's not for everyone, but I find it faster for me to do that. And then just pluck out the the diced pieces with the um, that's genius the i can imagine how it's faster actually yeah because yeah. otherwise you're like trying to cut around this like corn you're not sure where all the seeds are and the stem so we joke about this on the show i'm more of a maximalist in life and megan's a minimalist a wannabe think- minimalist <laughs> for parody. I, think, I think we come together in the kitchen a little bit i mean probably because it's our profession so there's a lot of like getting extra tools and testing equipment but I have to say one of my, what a, I think of as one of my like maximalist kitchen items is that I have one of those things that you apple press core. down on the, yes, yes. apple, core apple cutter. Core slicer. Yes. I love that thing. <laughs> it really I, love does. I love that thing. I love it. It's so useful. And it really does. Like I love baked apple desserts just it's like a flavor i mean when you talk about like the nuts and the butter and the spices i can like ah uh, like i my mouth starts to drool so that makes it really easy it's just like you know take four or five apples and clunk 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 and then throw them in a bowl and season them up yeah i yes. love that one mine has an adjustable like thing that oh, adjusts yes. the size of your wedges we might need a link to that yeah i love all this apple discussion because i think it helps get us to the heart of this episode which is how we can use up some of those like ubiquitous fall pantry things or not even just pantry. I'm thinking specifically of myself, like being an over eager mom at the you pick apple place and then being like, Oh, what am I going to do with all this? So speaking specifically of apples, what else besides crisp, because I also love a crisp can we do with, plentiful fall apples and pears. Yeah, absolutely. Every year. And in fact, we are either going to go this weekend or the following weekend, um, even though my kids are big now, Um, but we still go apple picking every year and are way too ambitious. It's too fun. We bring home so many, so many apples. Um, And I would say the number one thing I do at a certain point, I realize I really have too many is applesauce. So I tend to do my applesauce using that apple cutter thing. I just don't know what that tool is called. I'm just going to call it an apple cutter. (laughs) Using the apple cutter, I just throw them in a steamer. I do take out the cores, obviously, then. Um, Throw all the slices in the steamer until they're falling apart tender. Throw all those apples in a blender. And I use my steaming water, right? So I have a steamer where the um, that sits above the water. And I use the steaming water to puree the apples. Again, skins and all. I actually like my applesauce with the skins. And then I actually portion them into, I have like little cups, I portion them and I freeze them in these little portions. And so I know that my portions are uh, quarter cups. Um, I freeze them all. And then I do have, to your point earlier about my freezer, then a bag full of frozen applesauce cups. So these are both like great instant after school snacks, but also for baking. 
whenever I want, I have them already. Um, and I always will keep obviously a, a big container in the fridge for anyone to have fresh um, for breakfast. So that's the number one thing I would do is applesauce, pear sauce when I just have way too many. And honestly, when I have too many of the ones that feel, um, trying to think what the word is like, not ideal apples for yes. eating out of hand, Mushy, smushy, yeah. yeah, sandy, but they're still fine. They're still perfectly fine. I don't want to waste them. So I definitely will sauce them. I also love, I know it's a project, but I love baking apple pies. I love baking apple pies. So do I. Yeah. So, um, and I'm sure you guys both know it's like another glorious thing about apple pies. You can freeze the whole pie, like, and then bake it whenever you want. And then you seem like a domestic goddess. Like, whoa. Yeah. Just just pie it. Like, yeah just yes. You know, it was on whatever random Saturday I actually had enough time to do it. But I love baking apple pies. And so that's another way I love to use all those apples for reasons, uh, for different reasons. I think maybe mainly texturally pears I actually prefer in tarts. So Ooh. I tend to do pears both in galettes as well as um, tarts. I especially love the pairing of pears and almonds. So French Japan, which is just a right, super simple mix of almond flour, butter, sugar, <laughs> you know, as a base, letting pears like bake into that on a crust, even just, you know, frozen puff pastry, like not even homemade, like that's a super fun, easy dessert for me. Cause I love um, that feeling of like, Oh my God, am I in Paris now? I um, love that you mentioned frangipan because I do think that's the kind of thing that people just hear it and think that it's way more complicated than it actually yeah, is. Yeah, it sounds so yeah. fancy. The it does. It sounds fancy. fancy. I love them in savory dishes too. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, I love to roast them with my vegetables, like to, you know, um, toss them into salads, all that good stuff. Okay. How about the very troublesome, I say troublesome, this is very personal. <laughs> Canned pumpkin. Yeah, I just made actually a recipe of Stacy's last night that made for like loft house style pumpkin cookies that uses only one cup. So now I have like half a can of pumpkin in my fridge, which I do with it. Oh, canned pumpkin. Yeah. Why? (laughs) I will say for the record, I try so hard. I try so hard to only develop recipes that use the whole can of pumpkin. I yes. totally agree. I didn't do it this time, but <laughs> I also does. don't mind if it's like one cup and then you end up having almost a whole other cup. So you get like two yes. uses out of it. But sometimes when it's like, oh, a quarter cup or like you yes. just need two tablespoons. It's I'm rough. like, Y'all, two tablespoons. Done better than, oh. I don't, I can't even think of a, the specific recipe, but I know I've been. I will word. say as an editor, uh, I would never. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, excuse me. You know what I've yes. done in those cases? I've roasted a sweet potato and I'll yes. just use sweet potato instead. Cause then like I can make the rest of the sweet potato a snack or my lunch or something. Sure. 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 Yeah. Okay. But yeah. let's talk. Canned but, pumpkin. Yeah. So when I do, you know, so I think that one of these funny things that is, you know, I think in whatever, maybe the seventies or something, you know, Oh, canned pumpkin is this like oil substitute for whatever health reasons. What I, what I found is that, um, it's a great oil substitute for deliciousness reasons. Absolutely. So yes, Saturday yes, morning yes. pancakes, like I'll just whisk some in. And that's where I like to, again, like sort of bake by feel or by look, you just, you do like use as a substitute for oil. Obviously it's much thicker. And so I just, you know, will maybe add a little more milk if needed to get the consistency of the batter I want. Oftentimes I'll turn again, canned pumpkin to savory dishes. So I'll make it into like an instant pumpkin soup. Um, I especially love it. Oh, you know what it is? When you have an extra bit of coconut milk left from your can of coconut milk too. And so, you know, just um, mixing those together with a little, you know, maybe some sauteed onions. Or, yes. Um, yes. Or, you know, and I love ginger. I mean, a little ginger with that. And you have like an instant like soup for yourself for lunch that feels like such a treat um, and is a way to use that up. I also use it as a spread for things. I know that sounds. Um, you know, this was again, born out of like, Oh, what do I do with this? And I hate wasting anything, but mix it with a little brown sugar and like spread it onto toast. And then I, you know, in a toaster oven, not a slot toaster, heat that up. Um, you know, that's actually a really nice breakfast on its own. It's pretty earthy. (laughs) So, so I, you know, again, for the kids, um, they will not love that if it's just like spread plain, but you do have to, you know, add a little brown sugar. Um, and then again, a little cinnamon or a little warming spice. And it tastes like a real treat for breakfast. 
Uh, I want to second I, that because I've done that too, also with leftover sweet potato and just mm. like keep honey or maple syrup drizzled on top and cinnamon. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's really yeah, delicious. If you have some like pecans, just some like chopped nuts on top and it just tastes like an instant, instant dessert. But it is a nice thing to also stir into oatmeal. I think I like stirring it into my oats. Um, yeah. Cause it just has such a great flavor. I do like to bring out either the sweeter side of it or the more savory side of it. I think if you just try to eat it straight up, it's pretty intense. <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't recommend it, but I think finally, you know, the last thing I will say, um, I love those sort of fluffy pumpkin cookies. And I actually often like to make them into whippy pies. So, you know, if doubling the recipe would help you use up the rest of that, you can do that. And then what I do is I beat the pumpkin with cream cheese and confectioner sugar into a frosting and then make little pumpkin whippy pie sandwiches. So I did that in my cookbook, Better Baking. Yeah. I have these like pumpkin whippy pies, but I actually use the pumpkin in the filling as well. So I love pumpkin and cream cheese together. So whatever that cream cheese frosting is for pumpkin bread, pumpkin cake, pumpkin cookies, like if you have leftover pumpkin, go ahead and like beat that into the cream cheese as well. Can we talk about the genius of doubling up on anything that you're baking? You've mentioned a couple things like freezing, like stocking your freezer with your staples, but also like freezing a whole apple pie. And this idea that like you could make one batch of cookies, but turn it into two things. And maybe you put some in your freezer or maybe you don't, but like, especially because October starts to get busy, then November's like crazy busy. And then December's really busy. What are things that you like to maybe make in bulk and freeze for the holidays specifically? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so the cookies that I like to freeze already baked, and I think work out really well, are the sort of drop cookies or like chocolate chip style drop cookies. Things like shortbread, actually, for me, I don't think they do freeze, they freeze fine, but I don't know that they taste quite as delicious once thawed. Whereas chocolate chip cookies, the secret to that is, you know, once they're frozen, you don't just thaw them. You then, I know I mentioned my toaster oven before, but it is possibly my favorite small appliance. <laughs> Toss yes, in the toaster, toaster oven. oven. Yeah. And we heat it. So then it tastes fresh again. But with any sort of shortbread, sort of buttery cookie like that, I like to actually keep those logs or blocks of dough in the freezer. And so again, like that, you can just slice, throw it on a pan, and then you have this freshly baked shortbread within minutes. And the other beauty of shortbread, I think, is on once they are baked, a lot of butter-based cookies, to me, actually improve in taste at room temperature over time. So yes. for example, one of my colleagues, Margo Lasky, just published um, these brown edge cookies that are butter cookies that are between sort of a, a chewy sugar cookie and a shortbread cookie. So it's crunching the edges and then butter in the middle. Yum. And they actually, they're delicious right out of the oven. So good. But also after three or four days, after a week, it's not just that they're still delicious. They actually become even more delicious. So I like to keep, I like to keep those sort of butter-based doughs in my freezer and then bake them off whenever around the holidays and then keep them out, like keep them in a tin or keep them in a cookie jar, just sort of ready to, you know, bag up for teachers or friends or, or whomever, but also pound cakes, love freezing pound cakes. So like a sponge cake, not so much a sponge cake that doesn't hold up quite so well in the freezer, but a pound cake. Oh, so delicious straight out of the freezer. And I recently did a Texas sheet cake as well on New York times cooking and you know, because we're maybe are not quite in the time where we can feed a sheet pan size cake to people yeah. all at once. It is dangerously delicious straight out of the freezer. And it's very fudgy. Ooh, I feel like that's a hot tip. It is a hot tip. I also think the pound cake doesn't get quite enough love. Pound I cake, agree. Right? right? I think that pound cake, it's delicious right out of the oven. It's delicious. If it's been sitting a day or two and mm -hmm. you slice it and toast it and put a little mm -hmm. butter on top. Mm -hmm. It's so versatile. It holds up well. It freezes well. I'm really, I'm, let's, let's call I it pound cake season. I, I want to declare that. I also think it's incredibly luxurious when it's well-made, like it has the tiniest crumb and so much butter flavor to it. Um, and I think people just think of it as sort of like ordinary when it's really not. So delicious. Not it's like comfort luxury. You know what I mean? Yes. It's not the way like a fancy, you know, French confection is, but it's like, oh yeah, this is really good. It's really so, good. <laughs> Season of the pound cake. You heard it here first. And didn't I just beat you? Okay. So Genevieve, I want to say though, I want to go back to the very, very top. We've talked about spices. 
We've talked about apples and pears. We've talked about pumpkin. A couple of other ingredients that you like to use as part of your fall baking and then quickly like how you also use them up when you have leftovers and you're doing something more with them. Sure. Absolutely. I tend to really love walnuts and pecans all throughout the fall and all throughout the holidays. And I, you know, I think something that we get a little distant from is remembering that um, nuts are seasonal. <laughs> they actually grow on trees. And yeah, um, so I don't think it's just that, oh, I, I like them this time of year. Um, they're really delicious and unique this time of year. They're very you fresh. Know, even though I know that I'm like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an easy thing to forget. Yeah. And so they're juicier, which sounds weird, but right. They're so full of uh, fat, which is what makes them so delicious, but they haven't been sitting in storage. And so they don't dry out as much. So they're, they're so fragrant. They're so juicy. I just love, 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 um, especially, well, I love all nuts, but especially walnuts and pecans for baking in the fall. I think, especially in fall baking, um, they're so great when they're I, you know, sprinkled and then baked on top of anything, banana muffins and an apple crisp, obviously, but sort of any baked good to, to incorporate those. And as we move towards the holidays, one thing I love to do is I love to do candied nuts or roasted nuts or salted nuts, um, just the nuts straight up. And it's just like the most luxurious, quickest treat to have. Um, and even though I do sort of keep homemade batches of granola baking and, and in my on my counter year round, I do load up more on the nuts uh, in the fall. And I just think they are, they're so versatile and they add so much richness and such deliciousness to, to all these, all these goods. So if you're buying the nuts now, I have, I have a 14 year old boy and an 11 year old boy. So I'm about to crack myself up as I say nuts multiple times in the next (laughs) sentence. Um, (laughs) If you buy your nuts now, (laughs) are they like, should you buy enough? So that there's still, you still have some of your stash left for the holidays. So you can like gift them and candy them and put them on your appetizers and your brie. Or should you buy a small stash now and a small stash, you know, in another month or two? Gosh, I think that's really up to how much pantry space you have and how much freezer space you have. So I, uh, I'm a very uh, avid Costco shopper. I just love Costco shopping. So I tend to buy these huge bags of nuts and, um, you know, pro shopper tip. You can see obviously on the bag, the dates, but on the big boxes, they also print the packed, the, the dates they pack them. So I always look for the one with the most recent packing. So you, you know, I want to be sure I'm bringing home the freshest nuts possible. So yeah, if you have this, I just find it easier. Then I always know that I have them in the freezer, but if you know that you're not a really avid baker, you know you're not going to end up using them up, then I would just buy a small stash. Because even if you keep them in the freezer, because nuts are so high in these delicious fats, they do go rancid and they do start to taste like a little funky. And so if you know that you're not going to use a ton of them, then buy them in, in the smaller packs. And again, always look for those dates. And the other huge thing I always think is so important in baking is before you go tossing all those nuts into whatever you're baking, taste one first because a rancid nut can just ruin everything. So, or taste two, I guess, just to make sure whatever, whatever batch you're working with, um, to make sure it still tastes fresh and, and great. But I think that's really true. I, I've heard that a lot about hazelnuts are one of my favorite holiday baking nuts. They, they're just delicious to me and they're so, they feel so special. Um, but I had heard from a lot of friends, um, they're not really big fans. They don't really like hazelnuts. And I couldn't figure out why. And I I began to realize, I think it's because they tend to not be sold and therefore replenished quite as readily in stores that often they, and they go rancid very quickly, right? One of the reasons they're so delicious, again, so much, uh, so many rich oils in there, but they do turn rancid. And um, so I think sometimes people who don't like hazelnuts, it may be because they've only had really gross ones. <laughs> yeah. It seems to be true of a lot of nuts. Um, once yeah, they turn... It's like a bag taste. That's what I call it. I know that's not very descriptive to other people, but to me, it makes sense. I'm like, it's like, it's off and it's yeah. like the bag. Yeah. yeah. And if you are like opening a big bag and then keeping it again in your freezer, you just want to make sure it's really, you know, airtight in there. So either in a um, airtight container or, you know, airtight bag or something. So you don't, cause then, you know, cause then they taste like freezer. 
So in the same way that you're like, oh, they taste like bag. I'm like, oh, I do not like when my nuts taste like freezer. Uh, yes. <laughs> Two follow-up questions. Are you generally buying your nuts like in their shell so that they're super fresh oh, or God, no. you're being realistic in their no. own shell? No, uh, I am super realistic about that. <laughs> I was like, wow, that sounds lovely. I do actually like come December or like sort of between starting after Thanksgiving, I do like to keep really fresh walnuts in shells and I have a nutcracker that was a gift from one of my daughters. And so we do like to use the nutcracker um, to to crack open those walnuts. And then that we just eat out of shell just for fun. We don't bake with them. It's not, but it's, it's sort of like a delightful thing to pluck out of the, Um, out of the walnut shells and but goodness no and if you i have cracked pecans and they do taste fresher but i do not have that time (laughs) (laughs) neither do we so we yeah we appreciate that like oh don't don't spend your time on that unless it's for pleasure eating yeah unless it's for pleasure eating it straight out of the shell to taste how like fresh and wonderful they are Okay. So then the second follow-up question is, do you have a tried and true technique for getting those skins off of the hazelnuts? Cause I feel like that is like a deal breaker for some people that are like, mm. Oh, I just don't want to deal with that. So I'm not going to make that hazelnut recipe. Yeah. I mean, when I don't want to deal with that, honestly, I go to Trader Joe's and buy there. <laughs> I mean, that's a tried and true oh, trip. They're already shelled. Or, you know, there are a few other places that sell them that way. They're, that's the one place I know definitely sells them without their skins. But I am a, you know, I do 350 oven. And this is actually one of my nut toasting tricks. You have to know your oven to do this. But like, if you're going to be toasting nuts for a baked good recipe, I actually throw them into the oven while the oven is heating. Now, some ovens heat super fast and hard. So don't do that. Like if you know that your oven, like, you know, like the heat just uh, skyrockets, it will end up burning the outside of your nuts, which is obviously not what you want to do. But if you have like a normal <laughs> oven that heats at a steady rate, I actually will heat them in there until I can smell that they're nice and toasty. Otherwise, if I already have the oven going, usually I go 350, 375. And depending on the nut, hazelnuts, I usually go like 10 minutes. And what I do for hazelnuts is I will check and see when they're in the oven, when I'm toasting them, I want to start to see some of those skins separating from the nut itself. And the hazelnut will actually start to turn uh, golden brown. So if you don't toast them long enough, um, it's going to be way harder to get those skins off. It does change the flavor. You don't have this like a you know, you don't have as much of a raw hazelnut flavor. It's a deeper toastiness, which I love actually, which I, I prefer. Also, you don't want to go too far on the other side and have them get too dark and because they start to taste a little bitter, but you start to see some of those skins lift off naturally mm-hmm. from the nut itself. And then I just immediately throw them into a clean kitchen towel and sort of like swaddle it like a baby, you know, make sure it's totally, well, actually, no, you would not totally encase your baby. Don't do that. <laughs> but make sure the nuts are totally encased in there so they have a chance to steam and I will wait until they're not crazy hot They're but they're pretty warm, not lukewarm, pretty warm. And then I'll just like rub like crazy. And I think the main thing at the end is to realize like, you know, it's totally fine if you don't get every last bit of skin yes. off. I think that's the main thing. Like I've worked in pastry chef, you know, as a pastry chef in restaurant kitchens and fine dining. And like, uh, I'm not doing that right now. So like, <laughs> yes, if people are paying a lot of money for your desserts, then sure, they should be pristine. But uh, you're just baking at home. It's totally fine if there's some skins left. Yeah. I mean, it goes, it's like the apple, keep the skins on. Same with like the pears. I think the theme here is it's a very busy time of year, but it's also a time of year when we have this, a lot of us have this kind of impulse to get cozy, be inside, all those warm spices, all those sensory experiences that you were describing at the top of the episode. So let's give that to ourselves without having to be fussy about it. Yeah. You know, it's just not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. I do rub them off at least a little bit because they, they're more bitter, I think, than other nut skins. Um, But yeah, if like, the parts are stuck on or stuck on. Just let it go. <laughs> Do not let try it to keep. Yeah. Are there is there any fall baking ingredient that we haven't hit on that you really want to talk to us about? I think one is fresh ginger. Oh, well. yeah. Like, we talked about spices, and I love ground ginger. Like they're but they're wildly different 
I mean, they're the same and wildly different. Yeah. They come from the same, uh, the same essential root. Um, but I really love to incorporate uh, fresh ginger into this is more, we're heading into December now, right? Like gingerbread. And when I say gingerbread, I love both gingerbread cake as well as gingerbread cookies. Mm. I like them chewy. I like them snappy. I just love ginger. I love that warming heat of ginger and ground ginger has such an intensity to it that I, I think is so wonderful, especially with molasses. Um, but fresh ginger gives you this sharp sort of bright heat that just uh, is so exciting. And, and then again, I also love candy ginger. I think the chewiness of getting to bite into a really sweet piece of ginger to like find that side of ginger makes it really, really lovely. And, you know, now that I'm saying all this, I'm like, oh, I feel like that would be a very natural thing to incorporate into pumpkin-y desserts. Yes. I think that's, you know, I think once, again, we head into December, January, I start to really lean hard into citrus as well. So Mm -hmm. January is like my big, you know, January, February, big citrus dessert months. But prior to that, um, I think the zest of all different types of citrus, fresh, you know, freshly grating some, Lemon, orange, clementine, lime, like all the grapefruit, all those zests also bring a, bring a really nice sunshiny taste to, to desserts. I'm going to ask about one ingredient that I really haven't mastered as much as I want to, persimmon. So do you bake with persimmon a lot? Do you do other things with it? Like what's your, tell us about your relationship with persimmons. I have a very close relationship <laughs> Do you? I, I, do. Do. I do. I do. I want to. I flirt with persimmon, but then I get scared of commitment. So, <laughs> so I think it is important to give a little like background here. When it which is, I was born and raised in Los Angeles in Southern California, and uh, my family is Chinese, and persimmons are have always been something that we had. And the important thing to know is that two of my parents' neighbors, so they still live you know, where we've always lived. And so then the families that I grew up with have persimmon trees. And so That's I, so yeah, had so many lovely persimmons growing up in all different stages, both um, Fuyu and Hachia, like mm-hmm. the different types of persimmons. Uh, you know, long story short, I love, love, love persimmons. When you bake with them, their flavor almost completely disappears. It, it's sort of like when you try to bake with sweet cherries. It's such a confounding thing, right? It's so intensely sweet, has such a wonderful texture, whether or not you're, you know, talking about really ripe, um, juicy persimmons that you eat with a spoon or or the more, you know, the crunchier versions. But somehow once baked, I find that the flavors dissipate so much that the way in which I really like to incorporate it into desserts is it, it get back a little bit more into the like, pastry chef restaurant dessert side of things, right? I like to keep them fresh. Actually, I like to keep them nice. uncooked as okay. a topping. And so, so in, in, in better baking in the cookbook, I like had, I was like, I can't not include persimmons, but I ended up doing them as a topping for a coconut milk rice pudding. Yum. And at that point, like that actually then accentuates the natural, almost like tannic, but really like yeah. lovely quality of persimmons. I, if there's anyone listening, who's a really serious baker, who's found some genius way to preserve the taste of persimmons while baking, I want to hear it. And I actually was just talking to Eric Kim, who's one of our um, New York times cooking writers about this because we were like, Ooh, should we mess around with persimmon? I'm like, Hey, if you figure it out, let me know. Cause I've tried endless variations. Um, I will sometimes toss them in a skillet with like a little butter and sugar and saute them, give them a little caramelized edge. And and that's delicious. That's really wonderful. You know, into a cake batter, into muffins on top of a cookie somehow. I think maybe the closest was, you know, on top of scones um, Mm -hmm. because it bakes really quickly and it's just sitting on top with a little sugar. So it does get a little um, caramelly, but I think the, the standard to which I'm holding it is like, am I enjoying this as much as I enjoy just eating it? Um, yes. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's sort of my bar for persimmon baking. I don't, I wish I had some like secret. I'm going to keep working on it. I haven't given up, but for now, what I've found is that I love using it as a topping for things um, that are sort of creamy or custardy. Um, I do love to like toss them in a skillet. They're really tasty like that. Um, just a little butter, sugar, caramelize them a bit. And I have tried them 
somewhat successfully on top of scones, but I'm still, it's still sort of. I love it. It's a call out to the listeners. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I we'll want to hear that. But I wanted to add that in the South, persimmon pudding is a, like a huge thing that you see around the holidays because they are in season and like they grow prolifically. I weirdly just discovered we have a persimmon tree like that is adjacent to our yard, but they're little teeny tiny persimmons and they're starting to be ripe right now. Oh, Megan, that's yeah, magical. Almost like, gra- like almost ground cherry in size. Um, but... I don't actually love persimmon pudding. Just like you said, I don't think it really highlights the beauty of a persimmon, but it is almost a misnomer. It's not really pudding-ish. It's almost like bread pudding, almost like cake. And so it makes me think that for Stacy, it needs to be pound cake with like Greek yogurt and fresh persimmons. Yes. That would be the thing you're like, I'll just bake pound cake so that I can have persimmons. Yes. Yes. I'm going to do it. Everybody watch on Instagram (laughs) where everything happens. Yes. Okay. Before we leave, is there anything you want to share with our audience about fall baking, about your work on New York Times, your column or your book, anywhere that they can find you that they might not already know? (laughs) I know. So I'm just stuck in this one place and I never leave. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know where else you would find me. I'm just sitting at this desk all day. I will say right now, you happen to catch me like really in the deep of working on our New York Times cooking cookie plan for uh, cookie season. And I am reading these ideas from our bakers and just drooling. Um, That's sort of what I'm going to do right after we hang up is say like, yes, please bake these for us. So we do have cookies coming up, which I am so excited for. You know, and up until then, the one thing I'm super excited for, and will you see me doing this? I don't think you'll see me, but you'll get to see my my colleagues and friends um, really do pies. We're going to go big on pies in November. I love pie baking. I think baking pies is possibly my most favorite uh, baking process to, to actually do in the kitchen. But, you know, in terms of being someone who does this professionally, I recognize that November is the one month when everyone else bakes pies or, you know, it's like the only month when everyone else wants to bake pies. I want to bake pies all year round. All the time. Yes. Um, so I always get really excited to have this month to be like, okay, everyone's ready to bake pies. Like, let's do it. So Melissa Clark is doing a big pie thing. Yawande Komalafe is doing um, a delicious pie. So there'll be a lot of pies coming, which I'm excited for. And, and yeah, I'm excited to try what they have to teach us this year, but pies, cookies, all the good things. Um, and honestly, I think tomorrow I'm throwing together Rice Krispie treats because that is yes. I, we're obsessed with them. They're so good for holidays. <laughs> they're easy to dress up. They're great for class parties because they're like very adaptable to allergies. Yeah, my youngest is going to a, a birthday thing. So I was like, can you bake something? And I was looking at my schedule. Like, let's be honest. I was looking at my schedule. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, it's going to be Rice Krispie Treats. Yeah. Because I can melt marshmallows. I have time for that. But I can yeah. do the five-minute dessert that I love and everybody loves all the time. Everyone so. loves. But I've, I, is this controversial? I only make them using Cocoa Rice Krispies now. Like, Whoa. we're completely... <laughs> no i'm open to all cereal types so cocoa rice krispies and maldon salt on top it's it's perfect wow okay maybe that's what i'm doing maybe that's what i'm doing get back to me honestly (laughs) that sounds amazing okay oh my god we'll throw some earth chili on it yes (laughs) yes There you there go. go. That, that's magic it. happening right here in real time, people. Yes. The magic of baking. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I know we took a little more of it. Oh, no. Too. It's such a pleasure to chat with you guys. So fun to talk baking. Okay, Billis. Did you remember what the other thing that you're excited <laughs> to bake with is <laughs> I, after talking to Genevieve? Absolutely did not. <laughs> no. I did not. I did not. Because now I'm distracted by something else. Persimmons. Butter mochi. Butter mochi. I cannot wait to make it. Butter mochi? Are you kidding? She hit the nail on the head when she said it's got that kind of candy consistency. Oh, and that sold me. I was like, done. It is. It's that like toothsomeness. It's like chewy and dense. It's kind of between candy and cake. It sounds so freaking good. And actually I had the New York times app open 
And I forgot about it. And Oliver saw butter mochi and was like, what's that? Like, it just, yes, it's perfect. The words butter and mochi together, the way it looked, the idea of it, I'm sold. Is that the thing that we are going to get our Didn't I Just Feed You community to bake this fall? Like we all baked birthday cakes last January. There was a whole run of biscuits after we did the biscuit episode. Is butter mochi going to be the thing? Yes. Let's do it. I also got excited about the idea of, I think I'm going to say it incorrectly, yurfa? Yurfa? The like black spice? Yes. Yes. I think that's right. Uh, And brownies. She didn't specifically mention that, but she said yurfa and chocolate. And I was like... I have, I actually have to have that right now. Like I sm- smoky, herby, spicy delicious. with chocolate brownies. Are you, yes. do you have some? Are you going to buy some? I don't have some. I don't either. I've never worked with it before. I do need to, it's, hmm, it's a task I'm avoiding. Go what? through my oh, spice cabinet. Yeah. I have a ton of spices from the cookbook project I worked on this fall uh like very meat heavy meaty heavy spice heavy if that makes sense that i need to figure out like either sharing or donating or something and then i just feel like i need a refresh of all of like the organization in there and also like sort like i have a lot of grocery store stuff that probably expired or lost its scent like six months ago totally when i moved in same same (laughs) and i also want to get into a better habit of buying smaller containers of spices when i run out of something and i like don't realize until i need it for this week's meal plan i just grab what i can at the supermarket and more and more supermarkets are carrying you know the smaller containers but i feel like more than likely you're getting a bigger container and it's just really hard unless it's like onion powder or garlic powder in my house like we are not using that all up yeah. in time where it's my so other fresh. two are cinnamon and nutmeg like yes, we go cinnamon. through those really regularly but so i grate nutmeg fresh mm-hmm. so that i don't buy the powdered stuff because it has such a strong wonderful perfumey it's spite it's like a little bit more spicy too when you grate it yourself in a good way like any plate i will throw this out here any place that you like black pepper you would also like nutmeg if it's freshly grated love it love it and so do my kids because uh their babysitter used to make them jamaican porridge cornmeal porridge in the morning so that's like a that's a big comfort food for them, especially for Oliver. And she would only make it with fresh nutmeg. So that's like their jam now. Oliver loves anything with a really strong nutmeg flavor. Yes. Okay. So what's it going to be? Butter mochi? Brownies? I there were some other great recommendations from Genevieve too. Like, so many. We're going to have all the links up yes. in the show notes. I think that the butter mochi is... The one. That's something that's new. It. It's very like easy it's simple it's all supermarket ingredients and and let's like double down for some people who are feeling adventurous and want to challenge if you make it the first time the way genevieve instructs you to the simple version and then you want to make it again which we bet you will or maybe you right out of the gate what are you going to top it with maybe it's not just plain we talked mm. about toasted coconut with genevieve mm-hmm. but who knows like go crazy what do you guys got for us This is a big listener group and community focused one because we have to talk about persimmons. If any of you guys know Mm -hmm. persimmon baking recipes that you think are really worthwhile, you need to get in touch with us and you need to, (laughs) no, seriously, you guys, come on. We do a lot for you. Susie's not desperate or anything. No, listen, we do a lot for this. Listen. I know. We do a lot for you. Email. I mean, we're always in touch with you guys. (laughs) It's your turn. And butter mochi, make it, snap it, share it. Wow. Okay. Make it, snap it, share it. (laughs) Take us out of this episode after being so demanding, Phyllis. Obviously, we need to hear from you more. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really on us. I think there haven't been as many reviews lately. (laughs) So many things. I clearly transformed my feeling and needy into (laughs) being demanding (laughs) some sort of coping mechanism. (laughs) So I demand you to join us in the listeners community. (laughs) 
But for real, you guys, this also was a use it up episode. So we're also wanting to hear different ways that you use up those leftover things. If you buy the extra butter, if you buy that canned pumpkin, or you pick too many apples or plums, (laughs) tell us how you're using it up. Remember that to get to our community, all you need to do is visit the show notes for this episode. You can go to the community page on our site or go to Instagram, where we hope you're also following us, where at didn't I just feed you. And in all three of those places, you'll find links to both our free listeners group and also our supporting membership. Yes. Our newsletter is another great way to stay connected with us. We pinky promise we're only in your inbox twice a week. You'll get a notice of every new episode where there's also sponsor promotions. And then every week we send out a must have tip product pick of the week every week on Fridays. Find the link to our newsletter sign up on our site or in our Instagram bio. And last but never least, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute, leave a rating and review. I clearly need it. Those reviews also help other busy home cooks find us. A huge thank you this week to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. As always, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. 